How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm Jules. Hello, I'm Sarah. And before we get started with this very special podcast, we've got some news. We have. We've got quite the announcement. Da, 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 da. Guess he's doing another live. We are. <laughs> it's us! <laughs> we are doing another podcast live. Now, this one is a little bit special. It's actually. very special. It is a Saturday night special. So it's going to be in London. It's happening on the 21st of April, which is a Saturday night. I know. Get your dancing boots on. Talk about giving you notice. <laughs> <laughs> and then what we're going to do is we're going to record the podcast uh, with lots of little surprises, a lot of little treats along the way. And then we want to stay and have a party. Because we have realised that Port Salute crew, you're all epic. You're all so lovely. And so we're like, right, let's start getting you guys together. We want to hang out with you as much as you want to hang out with us. Yes. Obviously, you want to hang out with us. But like, <laughs> let's have some fun. Let's have a disco. Let's have a showdown. But as well as a disco, we have listened to uh, demand. Yes. We've listened. We've listened. And Sarah and I have been busy stitching and kilning. Yes. And <laughs> creating scribbling away and at this live event this live podcast you will be given the first opportunity to buy official Jules and Sarah merchandise yes yes you will so look tickets are on sale now Yes. You can go and buy them. The best thing to do is go to Jules and Sarah Podcast and the link is in the bio on the Instagram there. Lovely. And we'll also pop it, of course, in the description of this podcast. Of course we will. Um, so, yes, we will see you there. Get your tickets. And let's get on with our lovely guest. Hello, I'm Jules. Hello, I'm Sarah. And welcome to Jules and Sarah, the podcast. Well, welcome, where we've got a pretty spectacular guest. Oh, major Actually, guest. we are very excited. I can't believe it has taken over two years to get... A cheese expert. I'm going to use that word, Bronwyn, expert well, on you. the show, <laughs> on the show. Bronwyn, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm really so glad to be here. Perfect. What is your official title? I am the technical manager at Neil's Yard Dairy. 
And does this mean, I mean, technically, do you go around eating lots of cheese? That's it. Yes. 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 <laughs> and if you're not from London, Neil Jardieri is like the fromage shop of fromage oh, shops. Oh, God, absolutely. Um, so, and it's, it's right, isn't it? They only sell, you only sell cheese from the British Isles. Absolutely. We had a couple, well, we have a couple of European cheeses in styles that we just can't, for whatever reason, we haven't managed to make cheeses that good in the UK of those styles. Things like Parmigiano Reggiano, for mm. a number of reasons, the <gasps> love climate it when you of the UK. From when I, can't, I don't even know what to look. I love the full title as well. <laughs> but of the 60 or 70 cheeses that we sell, all but four are British. Is Parmesan a bit like Stilton or Champagne in that you can only have it if it's from a certain region? Absolutely. Yeah. If you call it Parmigiano Reggiano, it is. But if you call it Parmesan, that's a generic name, just like cheddar mm. is. And you can call whatever cheese you want Parmesan. Yes. I told you this was going to be good, didn't like I? That. I, I love you. things like that. Because the regional stuff, I mean, I just always love. Because they've recently, they're, they're going to expand the Champagne region. The people are up in arms <laughs> about it. And it's only like the next field on that will be allowed, the next vineyard on that will be allowed to be um, Champagne. I mean, it's really interesting that you bring that up because just this week, there's been big news out of Normandy where they make um, Camembert. Yeah. And there's been lots and lots of tussles within Camembert over the years about what exactly is an authentic, protectable Camembert de Normandy. And it looks, in this case, like the big business has won out and they have just managed to bring a bunch of pasteurized factory cheeses into that name <gasps> and uh, give it a, a protected mark. And of course, as you can imagine, all the farmhouse cheesemakers are totally up in arms over yeah. this. I'm, I'm tempted to march and protest myself, actually. <laughs> we'll get some news. signs together after <laughs> <Yeah>. the <laughs> going on a very small protest about it. <laughs> this, this podcast has already got me salivating. Yes. Gosh. I mean, bro, how, how does it start that you become a technical cheese buyer? Well, it certainly wasn't my plan. When I was growing up, I thought I wanted to be a scientist. And um, I, I came from a family, however, of dairy farmers. So my great grandfather came over in the early 20th century from Switzerland to Southern California, um, where I grew up, and my my mother's family were dairy farmers, and they started out with a tiny little farm in San Bernardino County with pigs and with an orchard and chickens, and then over time they got bigger and bigger according to the best practice of the day. By the time I was in high school, they had over 2,000 cows, and they were milking them in the high desert, and ultimately a few years ago, they decided to sell the dairy because even without many cows they were just too small to compete yeah so, wow. wow I thought you were going to say they sold it because they were shattered <laughs> they just were absolutely all that 2,000 cows the and forefingers were just oh, completely the bucket couldn't take it any longer <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, they with that many cows, they had to be milking them 24 hours a day. And yeah. it was very interesting because, as you can imagine, Southern California, there's not a huge amount of grass there. So it was a lot of food that had to be shipped in from a long ways away. And there were all sorts of costs. And really, that sort of microcosm of dairying made me think, hmm, you know, this is very interesting. I came from a dairying family. How can dairy farmers make a living for themselves that's not dependent on a commodity market. Yeah. When mm. you're stuck paying the market price, essentially what you get to charge people is dependent on factors that are totally out of con out of your control. Yeah, of course. And so that's what I do now at Neil's Yard Dairy is work with cheesemakers to make cheeses that can be that can have a higher price than the market price per milk because they're so totally delicious. Lovely. And were you making cheese 
at high school, would you come home from school and think, oh, I'll just crack on here and uh, pop a together a little mozzarella? <laughs> so my, my cousins lived on the cow dairy farm. Um, but when I was growing up, I think my parents liked the idea of sort of reliving the farm experience and we got some goats. And I, it was my job to milk them. They were my goats, Natasha and Ginger, and I milked them. <laughs> Everything. Everything. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and, and made some cheese out of, out of their milk. So I have to say it was terrible um and nobody i don't believe it wanted to eat it <laughs> but you it, have to know what bad cheese is to be able to recognize what yes good cheese i bet actually but in terms of good and bad cheese like how do you how do you look out for it because i mean sarah and i will eat anything well yeah i mean you Almost. say that though because i'm a bit of a baby because i don't go near blue i'm a no. goat's girl mm-hmm. actually through and through goats, you know yeah. natasha and ginger <laughs> i would have been there absolutely <laughs> so i mean is how is there anything you don't like first of all that oh, you yeah. kind of have to force yourself um you know i think it's a really interesting thing when you are tasting something professional they're professionally there are cheeses that aren't to my taste but I can appreciate that they're good mm, if that makes any yes. sense and so being able to put aside your personal taste and say mm, I would, don't think I would ever buy that to take home but I can judge that this version of that thing is better than this other version and that there will be other people out there who appreciate it that's one of the sort of prerequisites mm, of go on Bronwyn what cheese is it what cheese do I, I, I not feel like, I feel like there's one that she's like yeah <laughs> I've just never been able to get on board with it I don't know some of the washed rind cheeses some of these ones with the orange stinky coats um like munster i sometimes find really challenging you know when I mean, they it's called munster <laughs> and that would put me off actually i'm interested <laughs> i i may get some angry letters from the munster producers <laughs> uh, federation uh, how week, dare but... you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah but you'll push through you're yeah, very absolutely. professional with it bronwyn yeah and is your fridge at home stacked i mean is it rammed always absolutely and and we do <gasps> we try to do a little excavation once every couple of weeks. Cheese excavation. Just to make sure there's nothing there's nothing hiding back there that's gonna yeah. take on a life of its own. Because it does do that. I mean we've all been there. We've all opened the fridge. It's rare mine will make it that far to be honest. <laughs> but you know when you've forgotten about something and you get that waft. Oh there's no waft. There's no fridge waft like it. You may it. not be able to see it, but you know something's lurking near yes. the back. No. That's the amazing thing about cheese though, is because it's already semi preserved, most of that cheese that you dig out of the back of the fridge, even if it's grown a new coat of mold or all sorts of green stuff all a over leg. <laughs> exactly. you can you can just trim it off you can trim it down and have a taste and as long as it's not too dried out it's going to be safe to eat. Yeah. So, yeah, no. It no, makes but... me think of Bridget Jones, you know, when she's raided the fridge. <laughs> the scraping scene. Yeah, she yes. scrapes it off. Actually, that's, she was Best a connoisseur practice, all absolutely. along. She knew exactly <laughs> she... what she was doing. That wasn't desperate at all. Cheese storage, just while we're on this topic. Yeah, yeah. Freezing. Do you, don't you? I've Ooh. got some cheese that's been frozen in the fridge, cause, in the freezer, because everybody told me that it was okay. But I'm unsure. Contentious, yeah. yeah. We don't usually recommend that people freeze cheese, but it's normally because of the texture. That it has this very, the structure of cheese is quite a complex thing. And sometimes if you put it through a freezing process, you can get ice crystals, you can get the liquid sort of leaching out of it. Mm. It's not going to become dangerous. It's probably not going to taste bad necessarily, but it may ruin the texture. So maybe if you have cheese in your freezer and you defrost it and it's not tasting as, or it's not, 
kind of as nice as it was before, you can always cook with it or see whether you can rework it into yeah. something. Just melt the little bugger down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like something leaking in the freezer. I'm not into mm. that. Mm. I'm not all about that. Fresh. I would say buy a little, buy the right amount and then come back the next week and see us yes. again. Yeah. Or oh, just we'll see it up. off. <laughs> just, just keep going. Even if you've overfaced yourself in some sort of way. In terms of, like, because I find your career so fascinating like you must have seen what what's the key things that you look out for when you visit a dairy farm when you have a look absolutely I mean there's certain things that when I find people working in that way it makes me really like really happy and really excited to try their cheese certainly people whose cows are outside and whose pastures are really biodiverse where they aren't just growing um, two kinds of grass, but maybe they have lots and lots of different wildflowers and herbs growing in their pastures. I think there's a lot of evidence that, you know, backed up by science that those things have a really important impact on the flavors in the milk. Also using breeds of uh, livestock that are rare or endangered. A lot of these farmhouse cheeses can really get the most value out of animals that haven't been optimized for making huge amount of milk, like my uncle's dairy in California was. Mm. Um, and so if you, you know, if you look at some of these farms and you see that they're using rare endangered breeds that are much more similar to the cows or the sheep or goats that people were farming 100 years ago, that's super exciting as well. Yeah. I love your face lighting up. <laughs> that you've, really, you've got something in mind. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, in your book, Reinventing the Wheel, um, you talk about taking it back to almost like provincial times. Um, what was... Because I know at the start of the book you talk about a guy, which I found amazing, tying his car, tying the calf to the cow's so to the cow's front legs, so it couldn't reach the udders, and then the guy, the farmer would milk the cow, mm. and so it was like lactating and producing the best milk. Absolutely. What have you ever have you seen anything where you've thought? God, this is such a different way of producing milk and therefore producing cheese. Absolutely. I mean, I think that story about this cheese that's made in central France, it's called Salaire Tradition. And it's a cheese that basically the method for making it hasn't changed in thousands of years. That If you go to the top of that mountain and watch them making this cheese, they're doing it without extra electricity. They're doing it in these wooden barrels. They're using these cows that we describe them as being like bovine triceratops because they are like... Amazing. <laughs> It's incredible. Tanks, uh, tanks with big horns. And so the really, it, like one of the points that we're trying to make within the book is that every cheese in the world used to be the product of this microcosm, this farm ecology. And when you were tasting that cheese, you were really getting a, a sense of what the potential of that farm tasted like from the animals to the plants to the microbes that were in their milk. And over the past 150 years, all of that has changed as things have been scaled up, as they've been made more efficient. Again, looking back at my family's day, this was exactly what happened to them, that progress meant getting bigger, getting more uniform, getting more consistent, getting more efficient. But actually, in the process of that, we've lost a lot of the personality mm. that once was a part of these cheeses. Cheap I, cheddar. That's all I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah. Great big slabs of but cheap cheddar. It's true. I mean, we see so much, especially when there's so much available to us through Amazon, through Netflix, of um, documentaries where... It shows how meat production, dairy production has grown and grown and grown. And my grandparents, my grandma was a dairy farmer. And I know, you know, we hear the rumors that there are certain farms that force feed hormones into the cows, that they're mass produced, that they are meant to think that they're pregnant and they, they keep being milked. And the more that they're milked, the more that they think that they're udder feeding. Yeah. Like, what is your view on that stance of production? Because it really, when you, that is mass 
fromage production. No, absolutely. And I and I agree with you. This this is tragic. And I think one of the things that in order to turn that around or in order to support other ways of really responsible and caring and sort of good animal husbandry, those those we have to take it out of that commodity system. And it was really interesting. I was reading on your blog about how you were thinking about, you know, you were experimenting with veganism for a mm. while. Certainly in the course of It was difficult, book, Bronwyn. Oh God, it was a dark I, time, I, Bronwyn, I, let me tell you. I felt for you. <laughs> Cashew cheese can only take you so far. I know. Well, I want to know where you stand on vegan cheese, Bronwyn. Well, I mean, what I would say is in the course of writing this book, both my husband and I decided that really we wanted to eat a lot less animal protein whether that's meat or cheese, but we wanted to make sure that what we did eat was of the very, very best quality and mm. produced in a way that we could really get behind. Mm. Um, because I think factory farming, particularly of animals, but really of anything, if you think about crops um, that are being that are being farmed with lots of fertilizers and inorganic nitrogen that's running running off into the streams and lakes, that is that is not sustainable for our planet and. At the same time, going back to these old ways of farming, okay, the yields are way lower. You can get a lot less off of that amount of land. And so by definition, it's going to be more expensive. Yeah. But the quality that you get is something that you can taste, that you can't make cheeses that taste like that from the milk that comes from factory farmed animals. Yeah, of course. And if it's a story we can taste, and then at the same time, we have this capacity to, um, you know, to really support a sustainable ecology and the future of the world at the same time like that's that's the sort of um, animal products that I can get yeah. behind I mean vegan cheese though Bronwyn is it cheese I've uh, I've had a couple of vegan cheese and I can't maybe I should have brought that up rather than Munster as a sort of cheese <laughs> <laughs> I think as a, as a technical exercise it's absolutely phenomenal I had a friend or I have a friend who worked as a consultant for one of those vegan cheese companies and you know she was looking at how do you get a rind like a, a mold rind to grow on a nut cheese mm. and in order to do that you have to use some pretty smart science I take my hat off to these people they did manage to make a rind grow I'm not sure if the end result really um, <laughs> was worth was it, worth it. Exactly. <laughs> I choose camembert yeah fair <laughs> enough I think we always ready to pop the question The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger. Feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I mean, my favorite cheese and the cheese that we've talked about a lot on the podcast is feta, mm. Bronwyn. And I am unofficially the face of feta. Wow. Very unofficial. <laughs> we we, have, a, we have a strap line, don't we? Yes. Everything tastes better with feta. Because I, it does. I think, yeah, I wouldn't disagree. Yeah. How, why is it so gorgeous, Bronwyn, feta? Oh, well, you know, for me, the thing that I love about feta is how it's like refreshing and light, but rich and creamy at yes. the same time. Yes, yes, yes. That's, like, That's it. <laughs> incredible paradox. And I think for me, one of the best things about my favorite cheese is always capture this sense of sort of different attributes that seem opposed to one another but combined within the same food so with Lancashire cheese from oh, the, yes, uh, I love again, Lancashire one of my very oh. favorites you get sort of light and fluffy but also buttery and creamy mm. and so it's it's almost like it can't be it's not cloying because for every bit of buttery creaminess you also have that light fluffy refreshing texture oh, I think yes. that it has you know has a lot to recommend it in that regard oh it's got a lot to give <laughs> It's got a lot to give. So you mentioned um, the textures of cheeses. Mm. I mean, I'm literally, I'm such a geek when it comes to stuff like this. Like how is it, so the texture of cheese, so say Cheshire is very crumbly, Mm -hmm. whereas cheddar is rubbery. Yeah, firm. Um, What makes the difference in the textures? Is it just the milk or is it the way that it's churned? It's such an interesting question. It's a really good question. I mean... Class geek. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> We're going to get along. No, I think, you know, there, there is the geeky answer. And that, in fact, if you're interested in that, it's a fascinating um, chapter three within our book called The Third Rail, which is all about the sort of geeky details of cheese making. The answer is really it's in the make. And the really interesting thing is that pretty much any milk can be turned into any style of cheese. Um, Some have more aptitude, like a goat's cheese will probably be happier as a soft cheese than a hard cheese a lot of the time, Uh just because of the way that it's put together. But it really, cheese making is about two processes that are coordinated with one another. You've got the fermentation, which is, you know, the the bacteria, they eat the sugar, they turn it into acid, it sours the milk. And then the other part of it is the drainage. So we're actually taking moisture out of that milk at the same time. And how those two processes are coordinated, which comes first? Do you acidify first and then you drain? Or do you drain first and then acidify makes the difference between whether a cheese is really rubbery and whether a cheese is really crumbly. God, I don't know. I don't know which way to go. <laughs> I don't know which one to do Why first. not have them up? Yes. Um, absolutely. <laughs> Line them up. Um, controversial slightly. Mm. I'm a big fan of cottage cheese. Yeah. No. Actually. What's going on there, Bronwyn? That's a really, that's a really good one. I mean, certainly um, it's not a cheese that we, you know, we don't sell a cottage cheese. At I think you're missing out actually, Bronwyn. <laughs> we probably should think about it because I, one of my favorite categories of cheese are types of fresh cheeses that are sort of being reimagined away, you know, that you could get at the grocery store, but actually here's somebody who's doing it on a farm, doing it in the yes. old fashioned 
old-fashioned way. It's certainly a really fresh cheese. It's not aged at all, but you'll you you'll set it's a. It's not curd. aged in my flat. Absolutely, <laughs> it's gone before it's gone through the front door. This is basically a semi-drained curd into which cream has been stirred. Yes. What's not to like about that? Oh, really? Is and do you know what? what? The best one that I've had. I think you'll agree with me on this. Is the Longley Farm? Mm. Yes. Oh, it's oh, like it a is. set. Oh gosh, honestly, I couldn't be happier. A pot of Longley Farm, just me and thee. <laughs> honestly, I could not be happier. In yeah. terms of local farms, because um, the Portslough crew who listen to this, um, they're not all based in London. In mm-hmm. London, we're so lucky to have access to amazing cheese shops. If um, you are only close to, say, a big supermarket, mm-hmm. how do you think that you should be able to get good cheese? I know you don't work for a big supermarket, no, but in but terms I- of like the counters, are there things that you know we should ask for, look out for? Absolutely. Well, I would say even at lot at some big supermarkets now, they will have cheese counters where you can go and have a conversation with a person and get your cheese cut to order. And I would say if you can, it's always good to go and have that cheese cut from a larger piece just because all of the edges are going to be fresher. The moment you've cut that cheese, the moment you've exposed that surface area, it's going to start drying out. You have more surface area to grow mold potentially. And you know that if you're buying it not pre-packed where it could have been cut for weeks and just packaged in a protective atmosphere but actually from a person who's cut it with a wire you're going to get something that's probably likely to be closer to in peak condition and then I would say start asking that person behind the counter questions that's what they're there for and probably they're going to be delighted to have somebody who's actually interested mm. in learning about a bit about cheese ask them what's tasting good today ask them can you tell me which of these cheeses were made on farms they should know the answers to those questions and they will be able to guide you towards something that's really interesting I think they'll be thrilled they've been on the course they've read all the pamphlets they can't wait yeah, they're, yeah, they're, absolutely, this is, they're this, desperate to talk to <laughs> somebody about it all and and you know say your say your supermarket doesn't have a cut to order counter i think one of the really exciting things going on within the uk right now is that there are more and more independent cheese jobs that are springing up you know even in in little towns where you wouldn't even expect it and um see if you can find some independent deli or shop that's selling cheese and go and support them and then if more than farmers just went uh winning then you have a, a small local business that's getting that's getting custom and finally if you really can't find any real cheese anywhere I will say Neil's Yard Dairy does mail order and we would be so happy to hear from you oh good oh perfect yes Um, let's talk about Jules has got the best name for this which is accessories Mm. and Mm, (laughs) we're talking crackers chutneys a bit of quince sorry about Mm. that Um, a a little (laughs) a grape what is what what do you go for Bronwyn all right so now I'm going to be contentious and say I, I actually just put a piece of cheese on a plate and go for it. Oh, purist. Yes. Bareback. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, I was talking about this with my husband, Francis, and we were we were really arguing about it. But I think at the end of the day, we both agreed, like, take that money that you might spend on your accessories and buy, spend, spend more to get the very best cheese that you can buy. And don't feel that you have to get too many different cheeses to go on this cheese board. One absolutely beautiful cheese that you can really pay attention to, I think, is far better than a cheese board with 10 or 15 different cheeses where you just get turned around. It's hard to remember what's what. Yeah. Um, mm. And, you know. Certain, the right way you oh, eat it, it's hard to remember. <laughs> baffling. The Tasmanian devils come yeah. through. Yeah. And, uh, you know. But, um, you know, I think... 
for me, one of the things that I really do enjoy eating with cheese is a really nice loaf of sourdough bread. Um, oh, you know, yeah. Particularly if it's a couple of hours out of the oven, and I totally encourage everyone to, uh, to, to bake bread. It's just the most amazing process, and it's like the best hobby in the world because you can keep the starter in the back of your fridge, forget about it. It can hang out with the cheeses that are growing some molds in there, but then bring it out, feed it, and then you can, you can participate in this process of fermentation and sort of have the, the flip side to the cheeses, make your loaf of sourdough bread two hours out of the oven. We call it crack stage. <laughs> Not just because it's crackling, but because you won't yes. be able to leave like it alone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and that with some, some really good cheese, just a nice piece of cheese, it's hard to get better than that. Oh. Oh, oh, gorgeous. Yeah, because I, I was always led to believe that on a cheese board it should be one soft, one hard, yeah. and one blue. Mm. No offence, Sarah. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, but so you're like, if if you ha- maybe are going for the three, mm-hmm. if, if say you've the got... golden triangle. Yeah, if, say, if say you've got Sarah and I coming okay. for dinner. Yes, and, and you're that, expecting a cheese board. And it, oh, yeah, yes, like, so oh. we'll be very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> We're not coming otherwise, probably. I didn't RSVP for no reason. <laughs> Um, what, what, really, like, what would you say goes with which? So would it be a, a brie with a Stilton or like, how would you? Oh, this is, this is one place where I think people can feel free to express themselves without fear that they're going to be breaking any rules. So if you wanted to do, um, a cheese board with three different cheeses on it, you could t- take that sort of contrasting, um, approach where you say, okay, I'll do a goat and I'll do a cheddar and then maybe something soft and, um, you know, soft and runny like a brie. Mm. That would be a completely good, uh, a good way to go mm-hmm. or you could do a blue instead looking for contrast alternatively you could say hmm, well maybe this evening we're really going to look at cheddars and maybe we'll have a cheese board with three different cheddars from different Ooh. farms what like a cheese book club yeah yeah absolutely. i'm into this just, cheese uh, club why not the things that are the same but different are sometimes way more well they can be really interesting if you have people who are interested in really discussing what's there otherwise yeah i mean the sky's the limit i would really if somebody if i come over to someone's house and they serve me a cheese board i'm going to be delighted whatever so yes, nobody should yeah. be worried about breaking there's no any judgment rules. no exactly. judgment with your cheese board you put out whatever you've got <laughs> except when it comes to quince it sounds like there's yeah. some quince judgment i'm just not a quince person even oh, the word oh. runs through me a bit i don't know why a homosexual man you think i'd love it but no not at all not you, at li- all. you like honey you put honey I on love it honey, on cheese. honey and cheese often you know in the same way that if you're going to serve a wine with cheese often a sweet wine will mm. go better than a dry wine mm. or, uh, or a, you know a sweet white wine in the same way as honey has this really nice contrasting thing with uh, the saltiness um, and the acidity yeah. of the cheese so I would I, I think honey and cheese do go really beautifully together and would you go in for a port Bronwyn mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Port and Stilton. Although I don't know how you feel about the Stilton. So. Yeah, I'll leave the Stilton. She'll just take yeah. the port, to be honest. <laughs> the port. Yeah. No, the, the sweetness within port, absolutely. It just finesses the match. If you have a dry red wine and then you have a port and you try both of them with cheeses, there's absolutely no question that the port is going to be better, at least in my oh, book. Gosh. Yeah. Bronwyn, this is spectacular. This has been absolutely wonderful. I've got to ask if you could only eat. Oh, don't ask me. Oh, this go question. on. Oh, come on. Everyone must ask you, Bronwyn. Everyone must ask That's you. That's like asking somebody to choose their favorite child. That's so, <laughs> so unfair. Always the eldest, Bronwyn, isn't yes. it, Sarah? What about. All right, all right. Let's. <laughs> Always. I'm an eldest, too. So yeah, yes, fine. Um, if we. All right, you can have a, a, a type. 
of mm. cheese. Let's widen it out slightly. Okay. See what you're doing there. I'm gonna I'm gonna say, and this is gonna be very contentious, but I'm not afraid. The British territorial cheese, which is one of the most overlooked styles of cheese in the entire world, containing Cheshire, Lancashire, Wensleydale. These cheeses that seem my so simple. Yeah. But actually, because they're not hiding behind a lot of oozy texture or funkiness, you really get the opportunity to taste the character of the milk that went into them. And if they're made, you know, if they're made in a, like an insensitive way, they can be really dull and boring. Or if they're made with commodity milk that has no personality, they'll just taste like the starter cultures that go into them. But when you have a brilliant farm doing things really interesting and then people who are making those cheeses really well that you know it's hard to beat that that's the dream that's the right dream. there that's oh. the apex Bronwyn what an absolute treat oh it's been so much fun having <laughs> you on the too. podcast thank you, so much. thank you and we we absolutely will be coming round won't we we'll we be on our way we are looking forward to yes. <laughs> we will put we will put all the notes to Neil Jard and to Bronwyn's book Reinventing the Wheel um, in the show notes below yes um, if you have any questions for Bronwyn because we may get you on again Bronwyn now that I found you <laughs> yes. that's it there's no resident. looking back now yes. <laughs> then do send some through um, and don't forget that we have a live coming up, don't we? Yes, we absolutely do. As announced at the beginning of the podcast, um, if you go to Jules and Sarah podcast on Instagram, the link for the tickets is in the bio and you can come and disco with us. Bronwyn, you're more than welcome. Oh, I look forward come to that. Absolutely. <laughs> come and dance to Ashante and eat cheese. We'd love that. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much, Bronwyn. Thank you so Thank you. much. You've been an incredible guest. Yes. And dear listener, do go and get yourself honey, port, whatever you fancy, whatever you've got lingering back at the fridge. And yes, have a lovely time. Hope you've enjoyed the special and we will see you next week. Bye! Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.